The Power of the Word is brought to you each week by the support of our partners and friends. Today on Power of the Word. Now the word communion is, again, taken from two words, common, union. And you put that together and you have communion. Common meaning we have something in common. We share an idea. We share a belief. In our case, our common bond is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what gives us a oneness. We are in agreement. We are Christians without apology. We believe in what Jesus did at Calvary. We believe in what he's doing. And so the common reason that we come together is Jesus Christ. So that gives us the commonality. But the union is what we do. Now, remember we talked about the vertical and the horizontal. We saw it from uh, Psalms 133 where it talked about the, the anointing comes down and then it spreads out. Nothing on earth is more valuable than the wisdom of God. James 1.5 tells us that if we ask for wisdom, God will give it to us. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, God has the insight to bring us through successfully. In this series, Dr. Ed King shares scripture focusing on the strategic ways God shares wisdom. Knowledge is wonderful and we should pursue knowledge and education is great and we need education. There's no question about that. But education alone is not enough. We need the wisdom on how to apply the knowledge, the knowledge that we have, the education that we have. We need wisdom to be able to put it into use. To get your copy of Wisdom for the Times as a digital download for $7 or on CD for $15, call us at 800-956-4433 or visit us at poweroftheword.com. God will give us wisdom to navigate all of life's circumstances. Amen and amen. Now, we've been in a little series, been talking about some things related to covenant. And uh, we're going to continue on with that theme a little bit. And I believe uh, get into some new things that are going to really help you. And, and so we're going to build and go forward. Is that all right? So we're going to re retrace a little bit of our steps. And then we're going to spring into some things. But I want to talk to you today about being a friend of God. Everybody say, being a friend of God. Would you like to be a friend of God? Well, if you, you know, if you would, he's offering it, but we have to do certain things to get there. Amen. I said, amen. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a friend of God. Well, I don't know. You got potential to be a friend of God. That's where it starts, but there's a little more to it. Now, go with me, if you will, over here to 1 Corinthians. And again, this will be uh, passages that we've covered, but it's necessary to remember them again as we move forward. But we find this passage where it talks about uh, our communion with God. Now, again, the word communion. When we um, receive the Lord's Supper and when... Uh, I grew up in church. They didn't refer to it as much uh, as communion as they did 
the Lord's Supper. That's, you know, we, we received it every so often. It's kind of a stated thing, scheduled thing, and we did it. And it was a part of our uh, liturgy. It was part of our church function. And we did the Lord's Supper. You know, this is the Sunday we do the Lord's Supper. Well, I didn't know too much about it. I just know we did it. And I knew that I know that on the front, there in front of the pulpit, they had a this doing remembrance of me table. Did you ever have one of those? Yeah. And that's what the scripture says. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. And that was the table that they set the communion elements on or the Lord's Supper elements on. And we partook of it. Now, this passage here in 1 Corinthians is, some of it's, if you, if you have a red letter Bible, some of this is written in red because it's a quote from Jesus himself. And it's really taken from the Gospels. And you find this story elaborated in uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's the whole story. And that's the most powerful passage of scripture in the whole of human history and what took place in that upper room. Everybody say upper room. And so when you see Michelangelo's drawing or painting of the Lord's Supper, that's not the way it was. They weren't sitting, you know, at a long table, uh, you know, with the other side empty. They were sitting on the floor on a table that was very low, maybe some pillars around or whatever, but that would have been the culture that it was done in a very intimate setting. And you understand at that time in history there was not electricity, so it was lit by candle. And so it was, uh, you know, it was an intimate setting, very sacred setting. And we see in verse um, 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night which, in which he was betrayed took bread. Everybody say betrayed. Because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. In the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, we see that the cup, the juice, or in some cases, wine, uh, but that's representative of the blood of Jesus Christ, what he shed at Calvary and in other incidents leading to Calvary. There were other places where Jesus shed his blood. In the, in the garden, his sweat became his great drops of blood. That was redemptive in nature. There's elements of that. We've taught on that. Then he was beaten and shed his blood. Then ultimately on the cross, he shed his blood. So there was a, a, a series of places where he shed his blood. Now, a covenant, a biblical covenant has blood in it. It is the blood of the covenant of God. The word testament in the Bible is the same word covenant. That's what it means. The Bible says for a covenant to be in effect, there must be the death of the testator. That is the one who issues 
the covenant. In other words, if you wrote a will, you are the one who is responsible for saying where things go. That this part of my possession goes to this one, this part goes to this one, because you wrote it in a will. God gives us a will and a testament, and he says, this is where what I have goes. I give this to this one, I bequeath this to another, and on and on and on. And so Jesus could swear by no greater, so he swore by himself. And so the one who issued the will, who proclaimed the will, died so the will could be enacted, and then raised, he was raised from the dead to enforce the will. So there's no shady business going on with his will. He could swear by no greater, so he enforces the will himself. He watches over his word to perform it. Amen. So what he said is yours. Nobody can take it from you. No legalities. There's no, there's no monkey business going on with you getting what God said is yours. Amen. So this, however, is condensed from those passages in the gospel. This is a short rendering, and we use it for communion, and it's good that we do because you can't go through the whole teaching every time. Maybe you could, but we don't. And so he said in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And um, he goes on down here, and, and we've covered this, so you can look at it more, but we've covered it somewhat. And so I don't feel the need to go back and just elaborate too much. And if you need those teachings, they're available so you can get them. But he goes in verse number 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. Now, it didn't say, He that eateth, drink, and eateth and drinketh unworthy. Because that would speak to one thing, but when he says unworthily, he's talking about attitude or how you think when you do it. Not just your condition. If you said unworthy, you're talking about your condition. If you talk about unworthily, you're talking about your attitude when you do it. You follow me? Do you follow that? All right. So he says, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so the Scripture says that there's problems that can come in a person's life when they don't pay attention properly to what they're doing, especially as it relates to the body. And if we don't think right about the body, the Bible says that for this cause, many, verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep or die prematurely. And so one of the reasons that Christians are sick one of the reasons that Christians um, are weak, and one of the, I'm not saying the only reason, but one of the reasons that they die prematurely is because they do not discern or see what the body entails. Now, we've said this, but it's, it's noteworthy to say it again as we move forward. That body is primarily, there, there's a part A to that, and there's a part B to that. When Jesus on his way to Calvary, went through what we call the whipping post. And he was beaten. 
And the Bible says that by his stripes, or what happened at the whipping post, by his stripes, we are healed. A failure to recognize that, that would be eating and drinking unworthily. We don't see it for what it is. You follow? See, I, see, I, I grew up hearing that to eat and drink un, unworthily, what I heard growing up was don't sin if you're going to take communion. That's what I heard. Well, that's probably good advice, but that's not what that says. That would be unworthy. But unworthily is you can have all the sin out, but not recognize what you're doing. You get what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, again, now I'm not saying the only reason for sickness and disease is this. I'm not saying that. But the only place in the New Testament where I can directly see the Bible says the cause for sickness and disease for a believer is this. Now, I don't think it's the only cause. For example, Jesus, when he was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, the devil came to him and he said, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because he's given his angels charge over you to bear you up in their hand lest you dash your foot against the stone. Well, had Jesus paid attention to that and thrown himself off the pinnacle of the temple, he would have died prematurely. It wouldn't have been this. So there are other reasons of what I'm getting at. You break the laws of nature, you die. Or you can, or you can get hurt. You get what I'm saying? But, but what I'm saying and what I underscore is the only cause that the Scripture mentions that I know anything about, New Testament mentions, for sickness and disease, the only cause I know of is that. For a believer. You follow me? Now, it's not the only cause, but it's the only one it says is a cause that I know of. Amen? Okay. Now, so we know that we have to be careful how we discern the Lord's body. And it is in that whipping post element, by His stripes we're healed. But it's also, there's a part B to the body, which is we are members of the body of Christ, members in particular. So there is a body of Christ. So there's the recognition of what happened in His body, but there's also the recognition of our body as we relate and associate. And you can see that in chapter 10, and uh, it, it gives us a, a further illustration of this. In verse 16 of chapter 10, he said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So he puts our communion in two areas. He said, we have a communion with God, but we also have communion with one another. Now, the word communion is, again, taken from two words, common, union. And you put that together and you have communion. Common meaning we have something in common. We share an idea. We share a belief. In our case, our common bond is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what gives us a oneness. We are in agreement. We are Christians without apology. We believe in what Jesus did at Calvary. We believe in what he's doing. 
And so the common reason that we come together is Jesus Christ. So that gives us the commonality. But the union is what we do. Now remember we talked about the vertical and the horizontal. We saw it from uh, Psalms 133 where it talked about the anointing comes down and then it spreads out. He sent His Word and healed them. As the Word goes out, it heals the hurting, mends the wounded, uplifts the weak, and nurtures the hungry. Through power of the Word, we are taking that healing message of hope to all the world, to change lives every day and make a difference for the kingdom of God. Partner with us and help change lives. Paul said that when you partner with a ministry, the grace that's on that ministry begins to be the grace that comes on you. As you're faithful, we know you will see God change your life as well. We have several ways you can give. Go to poweroftheword.com. Call us at 1-800-956-4433 or text the word GIVE to 1-865-978-6380. We, we have to have this unity of relationship with the body. I'm not talking about with the world. I'm not talking about every human on the planet because you couldn't have that anyway. But he's talking about specifically those people who are in covenant. There's a oneness of relationship that allows the visitation from above into our workings and into our doings. We get community, comma, unity. We get unity from proper relationship that gives us that community. Community is not based on where you live. In other words, we go down to the parks close to the house because it's in our community. Well, that's a natural community. But what we're talking about is a spiritual community. And it's stronger and more lasting and more durable than any of the others. Amen. And so community is based on our relationship with God and one another, which is gives us what we really need. Now, you see this expressed back here in the book of John, chapter 13. And again, these passages we read in 1 Corinthians 11 come out of the Gospels. And the most thorough accounting of this event is John's accounting. You find it in the other Gospels as well, but John elaborates it more. Okay? And so we find in John 13, and uh, verse, well, let's, well, there's so much we could read here. We don't have time to read it all, but it's a good read. So I'd suggest when you get time, you can. And you find in verse number 21, and when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Everybody say betray. betray. Now we just read that over in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 11, he said, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. So this is what he's talking about here. Okay. He's talking about this moment in time in which he was betrayed. And he's, he's right now looking forward to it. In other words, he's, he sees it coming. He sees the betrayer coming. And he said, one of you shall. And his disciples looked on one another, uh, not sure about who he spoke. 
And anyway, we, we know that it was Judas, of course. And uh, Jesus said um, in verse 26, and Jesus answered, he said, it is, uh, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I've dipped it. And we could talk about that, but it'd take more time than we need to give it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. And so it wasn't just the demon power that entered into him. It was Satan himself that entered into Judas. And now let me tell you, when, when Satan is around, betrayal is evident. Betrayal and Satan go hand in hand. When you see betrayal, you can see Satan at work. That's what it is. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it be in a friendship, whether it be on a job, when you see betrayal at work, Satan is in the house. It's just the way it works. Well, you're just saying that. No, I didn't just say it. The Bible just said it. You know? So take it for what it's worth. That's the way it always is. Well, I believe there are times. No, there ain't no times. No times. Okay? And after the sop, Satan entered into him, and he said, um, then said Jesus unto him, that that thou doest do quickly. And so Jesus said, yeah, I know what you're going to do. Just do it in a hurry. Get on with it. Just get on with it. Hurry it up. Okay? And so uh, we, we come down here in verse 30, and then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. And so <laughs> there's so much you could say. But Jesus said, do it quickly. So he did. He left. Judas left. Say, Judas left. And so the 12 became 11. Okay? So the betrayer had to leave the intimacy of the environment. The betrayer had to leave the house. Why? Because it's a violation of spirit to keep a betrayer present when you're going through the sacredness of this kind of event. You understand that? And then he began, verse number 31, then that therefore when he was gone, so Jesus had to get him out of there. And when he was gone, he said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Now he began there to teach them. And, and you've got several chapters of what Jesus said. And it goes along like this. He said, I'm going to be gone. And you're going to wonder where I am. He said, then I'll be back. He's talking about crucifixion, Calvary, and then resurrection. He said, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. So he told him about that. He said, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. He told him about that. He said, whatsoever I do, you shall do. Whatever you ask the Father, he'll give it to you. Listen to the intimacy of this setting. It's not just a sermon somewhere. This is a room, candle lit sitting on cushions, taking communion with the one who's going to fulfill it. And he said, I most solemnly tell you, because I'm entering in covenant with you, this is what's going to happen. This is not just a sermon in church. This is the God of glory talking to his people that he's in covenant with, and he had to get the dissenter out of the room because he doesn't get it. It's not his. He doesn't get included. You see, this sacred stuff right here. 
He ended this event in John 17 with the prayer we call the prayer for the church. Father, make them one. You see why I had to get him out of there? Make them one even as we are one. Because you can't do it with him. Because he's sure not one. You see what I'm talking about? Okay. But it goes on to say here. He said, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him, little children, yet a little while, and I'm with you. Yet a little while, and yet you shall seek me. And as I said unto you, uh, under the Jews, where I go, you can't come. So now I say unto you, now listen, a new commandment. Everybody say new commandment. Okay. Now we had the old commandments, you know, the 10 in Exodus 20, thou shalt not, you know, and all that. They're still in place, but Jesus gave a condensed one commandment that contained all the others. <laughs> he said, I give you a new commandment. He said, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, do you begin to see just from that passage, and we're going to take you through a little more, but do you begin to see from that passage the new commandment and all that can be received and done through that? Do you see why? 1 Corinthians 11 says, if you don't discern the body for this cause, many are weak and sick and die prematurely because the one commandment he gave us is the one we refuse to do. One of the greatest things that can be said about any person is their friend. Sometimes these words are used far, far, far and away too casually. To be a friend of God is a special invitation by God to come into his place of intimacy, to come into his place of conversation at another level. God doesn't reveal himself to everybody. He reveals himself to whom he chooses to reveal himself. We get revelation, of course, through the word, but we also get revelation through that spirit of wisdom and revelation that he gives to us. The reason that's, that's so important is because God gives us concepts of becoming a friend of God, but in that particular relationship, God brings others into our life that he wants us to be friends of as well. The body of Christ is a part of this whole communion thing that we partake of and participate in in church. We have a communion with God for sure, but we also have a communion with one another. That's why betrayal is such an ugly thing because it betrays the confidence, the confidentiality. It betrays the trust that God offers us, but it also betrays the trust of others when God brings us into relationship. So there's a very cautionary tale here that we have to watch and be diligent to pursue friendship, not only with God, but friendship with those who are friends of God, in this case, the body of Christ. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you need to do that today. Pray a simple prayer with me. Say, Jesus, do it. Say, I take you as my Lord and my savior. I give my life to you. 
to serve you today and forever. Sin, Satan, I don't serve you. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I know you meant it. Wouldn't pray a prayer like that and not mean it. We love you. Enjoyed being with you. Look forward to our next time together. God bless.